morning, church. Good morning to those of you who are watching online today. We're thrilled to have you with us. Just a, a reminder that uh, today uh, we are ha- at 2 o'clock at St. John Fisher Church in Newtown. Uh, we're having a unity service by, um, with all the other churches in the community. Uh, this was originally scheduled for Unity Sunday, which is January 20th because of the bad weather. Uh, this has been rescheduled. It uh, looks too like we're going to have some bad weather maybe this afternoon, so hopefully anyhow this will, this will go on. We're in a series called um, Kill the Spider, and uh, it's based upon a book by Carlos Whitaker uh, by the same name. And what we learned last week is that, um, is that we all have ups and downs in, in our spiritual journey, that it's not this nice, uh, straight, upward line, that, that life is full of seasons of, of joy and growth and, and great hope, and oftentimes followed by seasons <laughs> Uh, of difficulties and struggles and sometimes moving backwards and sometimes even uh, despair. Uh, Sometimes these things are caused by our own stupid things. Uh, Sometimes they're caused by the stupid things of other people. And sometimes they just happen. They're not caused by anything you can really put put your finger on. But there's also a fourth cause, and that can be the influence of evil in our lives. Attempts to knock us off course and to sideline us. And the the biggest weapon that evil has in our lives is the lie. A spider is a metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's, It's an agreement that we have made with lies that evil plants in our hearts and minds. And the lies sound something like, you aren't good enough. You're not loved. Your life has no purpose. It has no meaning. You, you are a failure. And we remember the past, and what do we do? We rehearse it over and over again until it gets this, this strong root into our, into our thoughts. And oftentimes then we carry this unbearable uh, load of, of shame and regret and anger and sadness Sometimes to the point where it becomes almost impossible to focus on the present. We're so rooted in the past. And the Bible is pretty clear that we have an enemy, the devil, who accuses us of these things. That is his job, and he does it quite well. He gets us into trouble, and then he accuses us for being in trouble. And when we begin to believe these lies, we begin to search for a way to comfort ourselves and to escape the pain that we bring. We search for what we call medicators. And these are our cobwebs. And they bring us false comfort to the lies that we believe either about ourselves or the lies that we believe about God. And the trouble is, we may get rid of the cobwebs when they begin to cause us trouble, but if we don't deal with the spider, the cobwebs come back. That's why we're calling this kill the spider. So why do we need to do this work? Well, let's begin by looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, In chapter 11, uh, the author is talking about uh, the faithfulness of the people of God throughout the ages. And he starts at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And he names uh, some of those heroes of the faith like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. He says all of these Bible characters, they were so faithful and yet they were so flawed. 
And yet every one of them looked to the promises of God. And then he gets to chapter 12, and he begins by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, of our faith. So in this passage, the author of, of Hebrews is comparing the Christian life to a race. And he says all the spectators are those clouds of, of witnesses, all the saints that, that he has already named in chapter 11. And then we can add on to that list what we call the, the church triumphant, those who have preceded us and already received their, their crown of victory, our, our family and friends who have gone on before us. And they're saying, they're cheering us on. They are the spectators of the race that we're running. And then he goes on, he says this, let us throw off everything that hinders. You see, every, every serious runner wants their clothing and their shoes to be as light as possible. When you're running a marathon, you don't want to be carrying a 50-pound backpack. You don't want to be wearing combat boots. And I've run a few races in my life, and if it's a cold morning at start time, people begin with, I mean, they're kind of bundled up. They've got hat and gloves and, and warm clothing, and, and as soon as they warm up, which is around mile one or mile two, they start throwing off all their warm clothing. I mean, the streets are literally uh, littered with, with, with hats and gloves. I mean, you could probably clothe all of Anderson Township with the clothes that people throw off. Because if you don't throw off this extra weight, this extra clothing, it will slow you down. The writer goes on, he says, and also the sin that so easily entangles. You see, that's exactly what a cobweb does. It entangles you and, and slows down your spiritual journey. So what happens if we don't deal with the cobwebs? Well, we get into the cycle. And we see this cycle in the book of Judges. Israel has escaped slavery in, in, in Egypt, and they're in the promised land. Moses is dead. Joshua has passed away. So there is no one person who is unifying the 12 tribes. Instead, they're ruled by local judges or rulers, and they're in this cycle. They're stuck in a cycle of uh, of unity and obedience, then followed by rebellion and sin, followed by a judge who comes to the rescue, followed by repentance, and, and then it starts up all over again. The writer of Judges sums it up pretty well. The very last sentence of the book, he writes, everyone did as they saw fit. <laughs> Ever been a part of a group or, or, or an organization that, that nobody is leading? where everybody kind of does their own thing, it's not much fun. And that's the situation in chapter 6. And it begins this way. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. I mean, life is miserable. They've had to leave their homes and, and flee to the mountains to try to, to find respite from this, this, this neighboring army. And verse 6 says, Midian 
so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord in help. That's what happens to us, you know. We get so desperate, life becomes so miserable that we cry out to God. That's kind of our last resort, you know. Nothing else has worked. You know, I've tried my own thing. Maybe God will help me. So sometimes it just takes desperation before we're willing to change. And so God hears their prayer, and he sends a messenger who says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Man, we get our lives into trouble when we don't listen to the Lord. So God sends an angel to this man named Gideon. And he greets him by saying, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And how does Gideon respond? I mean, is he excited? Is he, is he eager to jump in and, and take leadership in Israel? Does he agree with the angel's assessment that, that he is a mighty warrior? Not exactly. He responds, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. I mean, Gideon is is in a serious depression. He's lost hope. He's lost hope in God. He is he feels abandoned, but that's not all. He's, he's lost hope in himself. Listen, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So God sends him on this mission. I, I've appointed you for this, Gideon. You can do this. But, but Gideon is not feeling it. Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God, I can't do this. God, I don't have the education. I don't have the talent. I don't have the energy. God, you don't understand. I I come from the wrong family. I come from the wrong clan. God, you don't know my life circumstances. God, I have been a victim my whole life. And we believe the lie. But God replies, I will be with you. But doubt lies heavy on Gideon's thinking. He says, God, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. Can I be honest? I've done this many times. Give me a sign, Lord. (laughs) Is this the direction I'm supposed to go? Is this what you want me to do? Is, Is this really what you're calling me to, God? Is this really you speaking to me? Or is this the result of having too much cheese on my pizza last night? Is it just my imagination? God, help me out. Give me a sign. Well, the Lord convinces him and and then gives him a project. He says, I want you to tear down the altar to Baal, and I want you to build the right kind of altar. And Gideon, he, he reluctantly obeys, but he does it at night because he's afraid of the outcome. He's afraid of, of his own family. He's afraid of how the townspeople are going to respond, what their reaction will be. I mean, fear seems to be the spider that is weaving these cobwebs in, in Gideon's thinking in his life. So long story short, God uses Gideon to bring freedom to Israel. Worship of, of God is restored, but it's short-lived. 
Verse 33. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the worship of Baal. And the cycle starts again. And that happens to us. We get caught in that cycle. And chances are good. That's your cobweb. That's your medicator. Again, our, the author of our book, Carlos Whitaker, identified four uh, in his own life. A big one for him was, was body image. Another one was gossip, uh, artificial uh, intimacy, a social media addiction. Anybody? No, don't raise your hands. Anybody have a social media addiction? And alcohol. He had a serious addiction to alcohol. He talks about his, his body uh, image. He was five foot nine, 225 pounds. He says, I had no follow through. He, he, had, he had some friends who enjoyed poking fun at him being overweight. Wouldn't you like to have some of those kind of friends uh, in your life? And his only, his only motivation was he wanted to look good for other people. I mean, how far is that going to take you? He wanted other people to admire him. I mean, let's face it. We all have this fake body image of what the perfect person should look like, don't we? But how many of us have that perfect body? <laughs> My daughter uh, tried for years to lose weight, but like Carlos, uh, she had no follow-through, and she tried diet after diet, but nothing worked. I mean, folks, food is a wonderful medicator, isn't it? You know, if you're in a good funk, go get some good comfort food, you know? <laughs> I don't know what yours is. Fried chicken, that's mine. But she had to deal with it. You know, it gets to the point where she was so miserable. She had such bar, bad reflux, and the medication wasn't helping anymore. She knew she had to do something. She could not keep going the way she was going. So she finally made the discovery that the only way to get rid of this cobweb was to get healthy, not for the sake of body image, but simply to get healthy for the sake of health. And with the help of, of a dietitian, She began to change her eating habits. She began a workout plan at the gym, and she lost over 100 pounds. You see, when God created us, he didn't create us with this perfect body image to shoot for. Folks, that's our own doing. That's our own making. Stop chasing this impossible body image, and let's start chasing God. That's the difference. Folks, I, I have several cobwebs. Um, I have good self-discipline and good follow-through. In fact, I pride myself on being self-disciplined. There's been times I've patted myself in the back. Yeah, Mark, you can deal with this, no problem. You know, just more self-control, more self-restraint. I can do this. And it works for a while, doesn't it? And then we fall back into the old patterns. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul names several cobwebs. He says this, You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is, is presenting this vision of what life can become. Verse 25, then he says, so let's put away falsehood. Let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, 
But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Anybody struggle with that? But only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And then he ends by saying, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. So Paul is talking here about several cobwebs, and and one of them is anger. And he says anger in of itself is not necessarily a sin. In fact, he says uh, anger can be a good thing. But but Paul warns us to find out what lies behind that anger before it leads to something else. What is the the spider behind the cobweb? For for some of us, hurt is one of them. Yeah, it can be physical hurt, but but more likely emotional hurt. A second root cause of, of anger may be fear. Sometimes fear is behind that. You, you ever been terrified as a, as a parent? When, when you're a teenager, it's 11 o'clock is the curfew, and, and 1 o'clock, and they're still not home. And, and you're feeling desperate, but you're also feeling anger, aren't you? And they finally they get home, and the first thing you want to do is, you know, oh, why did you do this to me? It's that fear. It's that fear. You're terribly relieved, but you're also horribly angry. Uh, another cause can be frustration. That happens to me. In fact, a couple weeks ago, my wife uh, sent me to the grocery store uh, to pick up an item. I'd never heard of it. It was something with Greek yogurt and cucumbers. Now, who ever thought of mixing those two together? I don't know, but I thought, okay, this is really unnecessary. She's, she's cooking up some big storm, so i got to get this thing. And I, I knew it was in the refrigerated um, area. But you know what? There's a lot of refrigerated things across the street, if you know what I'm talking about. I, I covered that floor two or three times. I'm looking every refrigerator door. Where is this? I, I have the, the app, but the app's not helping me any. And, and, and so I'm asking them employees, but they were just giving me the brush off. They were, everybody seemed so angry at the store. Even the other customers, they, 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 they seemed so angry and upset, and I couldn't figure it out. I was so frustrated. And anyhow, finally I found it, and I, I got in the car. I was feeling so good about finding it. I said, I went home. I said, Melinda, you wouldn't believe Every employee and every customer at the store was, was angry. What was going on? You know, what was happening? And she said, really? <laughs> Maybe it's because you were frustrated and in a bad mood. Isn't that interesting how we project those things on other people? And Paul says, if you're not careful... The unresolved anger becomes a disposition. Verse 27 says, And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, anger in and of itself may not be sinful, it may not be a spider, but it gives the devil, it gives evil uh, a, a foot in the door of our lives. And when that door is cracked open, there's no telling what will follow anger in. Resentment, bitterness, malicious grudges, hostility may come in the door with your anger. And the danger is that you move from getting angry to becoming an angry person. And if you allow that continue, it becomes a character trait. Now most of us will avoid dealing with a cobweb if we can. Because let's face it, it's 
It's ugly and it's hard work. The enemy wants to lull us into complacency. Don't worry about it. You can deal with it later. You're self-disciplined. You can, you can overcome that. You can do it, we tell ourselves. And then we run into the cobweb and we mess up and we do the usual. We try to clean up our mess. We apologize to those whom we have hurt. And we make a promise that we'll never do it again. And we mean it. And we say to ourselves, I'll go to church more often. That's going to help. Or um, I'm going to read the Bible more often. That's, that's certainly got to help me, right? Or I know what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm I'm to have a Bible verse tattooed on my arm. That'll show that I'm really serious and that I really mean it this time and I'm really going to change. And every time I'm tempted, I'm just going to look at that tattoo and, and I can do all things through Christ. Yes, I've got it. And we mean it. And we quickly forget about it. What I've discovered is these things cannot change me. You see, we need to ask Christ to take over our life. He's waiting to help. We need a power that is greater than ourselves to help us. Back, back to, to the writer of Hebrews. Remember how he finished it up? He said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I'm not going to be able to perfect Mark Rowland, but Jesus can do it. I can't change on my own power. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, these words, he says, Don't let sin control your body any longer. Don't give in to its sinful desires, but listen, but give yourself completely to God. Every part of you to be used for His good purposes. See, Paul is saying the solution to our cobweb is to choose the right master. And we can allow ourselves to be controlled by the cobwebs and the spiders, or we can choose to be God-controlled. And it is our choice. See, oftentimes, I just want to give God the problem. But God says to me over and over again, Mark, if you want me to work on the problem, you've got to give me every area of your life. You've got to give it all to me. I'm learning how to turn over total management of my life to God. And what I'm discovering is that creates incredible power to change. So what are your cobwebs? Not sure? Well, take a look at your New Year's resolutions. That might give you some clues. Or ask a close friend or a family member who really loves you and who knows you. What are the things that you keep doing over and over again? Again, we're not talking about major moral failings. We're not talking about criminal activities. That's not what we're talking about. But what are the things that keep messing up your life? The things that keep getting in the way of your relationships with others and the things that are getting in, in, in the way of your relationship with God. What are those habits you just can't seem to break? I want to give you some homework for this week. The next seven days... I want you to figure out what some of those cobwebs are. You're probably not going to discover all of them, but, but what are some of those cobwebs? And then come back next weekend. We're going to talk about the process of finding the spider.
Let's pray. Oh God, in this moment, show us how much you love us. Show us how much that we mean to you. Show us something today that declares your faithful love to me. And when you show me, open my eyes that I may see and receive it. God, hear this, our prayer. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.